0: So there's a story of a zoo somewhere, probably not a real one, but for the sake of story, we'll pretend it is. The zoo was famous for its size. They had tons of animals, they had a wide variety of them, and the crown jewel of the zoo was the gorilla. So there's a reason everybody came to the zoo was to see this gorilla. It was their biggest moneymaker ever. Well, one day the zookeeper walked into the zoo to find that this gorilla had passed away. Now, when this is your biggest moneymaker, this is a pretty big deal. And so, to not disappoint all the people who are expecting there to be a gorilla, he hired someone to come and fill a gorilla suit and fill in for this dead animal. So this guy goes in, he goes into the gorilla enclosure, and he's moving around, and he doesn't really know how to act like a gorilla, but he's trying his hardest. He's trying to be more convincing as he's moving around, he's jumping around, until he gets too close to the edge of the exhibit and falls into the neighboring lion enclosure. So at this point, he begins screaming, he's clawing his way, he's trying to climb out, at which point the lion comes up behind him and says, be quiet or you're going to get us both fired. (laughs) So this morning, we're going to be looking at hypocrisy. Now the word hypocrite comes from a Greek word that means an actor or one who plays a part. Essentially, it's something or someone who's pretending to be someone they're not by hiding their true self. In our story, the man in the gorilla suit was pretending to be something that he really was not by hiding his real self. So it would be an interesting zoo to see, that's for sure. So our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 12, verse 3. Said, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisee, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces." Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of this world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be, not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs." So in today's passage, we see a very familiar scene as happened throughout Jesus' ministry. As his ministry grew, his, the opposition to it also grew. The religious leaders who had grown accustomed to their power did not look calmly upon this new message and sought to do something about it. And that's what's happening in today's passage. My first point this morning is that priorities matter. Now, have you ever watched a movie or a show, or maybe you've read a book and it's your typical good guy versus bad guy, battling it out throughout the story? You get to see both sides of what's happening. So you see how the bad guy is going to set up this trap to get the good guy. You know what's going to happen, but the good guy doesn't see any of it. And so the anticipation is building and it's building to get to the end of the story or the movie or the book. This is the kind of stuff that makes great movies, the movies that keep you on the edge of your seat. Then finally, you get to that moment where the trap is getting ready to be sprung, and you aren't sure if the good guy realizes it or not. Then at the last minute, he shows that not only did he realize it, but he also figured out a way to get out of that trap all along. He turned the tables on the bad guys. Like I said, that's a summary of what makes a pretty good action movie or action book, but that's what also happens in today's passage. While it's not an action movie or a thriller, it does follow the same line of thinking. It starts out with a Pharisee inviting Jesus to his house for a meal. Now, as I said, the Pharisees already hate Jesus, so why in the world would this guy want to invite him to his house? Why is this Pharisee all of a sudden Mr. Nice Guy? Well, as I said, they were very threatened by Jesus. and They are very threatened by what he was going to do and his message. And so, this Pharisee was trying to trap Jesus. He was trying to invite him to his house. He was hoping that Jesus would say something wrong, that he would be able to use against him, or even better, for the Pharisee, have him arrested. So as Jesus came to the Pharisee's house, he gave the Pharisee just what he was hoping for. It was something that was unconscionable for a Jew to do. Something that would discredit, and something that would damage any Jew's reputation. Anyone that committed this horrible and vile act would be, their reputation would be destroyed. And we can see what this act was in verse 38. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash, his, did not first wash before the meal. Jesus did not wash his hands. He went in, reclined at the table, and he did not wash his hands. This is what's going to bring Jesus down. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever eaten a meal without washing your hands? I think it's safe to say we've all done that at least one point at some time in our life. Can you imagine someone invites you over to their house, and you just go in, you start talking, you relax, you start eating food, and you forget to wash your hands, or you don't wash your hands, and all of a sudden it's a scandal of the century. Greenfield reporters doing a front-page story on it, I mean... It seems crazy, but that's what it was like to be a Jew during this time period. I talked before about how Jews were incredibly strict about following the law, so much so that they added their own laws to it, their own regulations. And the practice of washing before eating was one of the most sacred laws they had, that they added to it. And it wasn't just a matter of washing your hands before you eat, you had to do it before each and every course. And so... This was a very extended process. It wasn't just running to the bathroom, washing your hands off and coming back. They had these large vessels, these clay pots that were full of water that was set aside specifically for this purpose. This water could be used for nothing else other than washing your hands because ordinary water might be considered unclean. The amount of water had to be a quarter of a log. If you don't know what that is, it's enough to fill one and a half eggshells. So keep that in mind. So the water first had to be poured over your hand, going from your palm to your, end of your fingers, and then you took your other fist and cleaned it. And then you had to do it a second time, going from your fingers up to your wrist. And so this was the ritual they had to go through before every meal and before every course of every meal. And you could not miss one little thing. You see, the Pharisees not only considered it a sin to skip this process, but it was a a sin if you left out one small detail. Imagine you do two eggs worth of water. You're sinning. (laughs) So that's what it was like to follow the the Jewish laws that these religious leaders had created. It's just one example of the many things that they had said were required to follow the law and be in good standing with God. If you follow them, you're good to go. But if you don't or you mess up, then you're in grave trouble. That's why the Pharisee in today's text thought he had Jesus. But Jesus didn't miss a beat. Even before the Pharisee could say anything, Jesus knew what he was thinking. So before the Pharisee could say anything, Jesus went on to show him his hypocrisy by giving him a spiritual analysis of his life. How many of you would like to have Jesus come and do a spiritual analysis of your life? So he starts out by calling out the Pharisees for caring more about their outward actions than their inward ones. They were careful to keep every detail of every law while at the same time neglecting the poor by not showing love to those around them. Jesus compared it to cleaning the outside of a cup but not the inside. Again, that just doesn't make sense. Think about the dishes you use. Think about that lasagna pan or that casserole dish. You go clean the dishes, you clean the outside, but leave the inside. Imagine how nasty that's going to get over time. Well, that's what Jesus was saying the Pharisees were doing. They were careful to keep their outer appearance where people could see while ignoring the wickedness that was taking hold within. Jesus then proceeds to pronounce six woes. Now, I think we talked about this before, but a woe is similar to a warning. In this case, there are warnings that if they did not repent and change their ways, that the Pharisees would face judgment from God. And the first three of these woes or warnings were meant specifically for the Pharisees, and they were denouncing them for the sins that they were committing, specifically in having the wrong priorities. Now, as we read about the hand-washing that started this whole thing, they were focused on the outside rather than the inside. They had the wrong priorities. In verse 42, we can read the first woe. It says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So their first woe or warning has to do with how they were tithing. Again, they were very meticulous in how they tithe. They tithe 10% of not only their income, but of everything they grew, every single thing. They had, right down to rue, which is a garden herb. Now, the original law said you didn't need to tithe on your herbs, but they went the extra mile, and they counted out a tenth of every herb that they grew. So they made sure they did everything. Exactly right, exactly 10%. And they also made sure that everyone else knew that they were doing this. Now, Jesus wasn't calling them to stop tithing. Jesus calls us to tithe, He was calling them out for focusing so much on the practice of tithing, while again they were completely neglecting the justice and love of God. They made sure they tithed exactly 10%, not one penny more, but exactly 10%, and they made sure everyone saw it. Meanwhile, people all around them were starving. People were in hunger, people were poor, people were without homes, and they completely ignored them. Their motives were not pure, and Jesus was calling them out for this, telling them to put their religious practices into perspective. They were giving their tithe while neglecting the poor around them. In verse 43, we can see the second woe or warning that pra- or practice that the Pharisees needed to reprioritize. He said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you have loved the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Common theme you can see with the Pharisees is they liked to be seen. They liked their actions to be seen. They thought the more people they that saw them doing these things meant they were being more spiritual. And this included how they worshipped at the synagogue. So if you're going into a synagogue to worship and you want everybody to see you, where do you sit? Front row. Yeah, so the front row of the synagogue was the most coveted. Now you can see that's kind of changed in today's day and age. (laughs) But that's why they did it. They entered. They made a grand entrance. They made sure they sat in the front row. They made sure everybody else in the room saw them so that everybody else could see that they were worshiping. They thought the more people that saw them worshiping meant they were more spiritual. They were focusing on their reputation rather than focusing on their character. Warren Wiersbe wrote, reputation is what people think we are. Character is what God knows we are. The Pharisees are placing their reputation above their character, the second misplaced priority. The third woe, and, third woe and priority that they misplaced might seem a little strange, but we can read it in verse 44. It says, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over it without knowing it. Now, as we said, the Jews were very focused on staying ceremonially clean. That's the whole point of that practice of handwashing we had. Anything that could make them unclean, they avoided it like it was a plague. And this included dead bodies. If they touched or came close to one, this meant they were defiled and unclean. Even if it was a grave that was 100 years old, if they accidentally walked over it, they'd be considered unclean. So this meant that they're very, very detailed about marking graves. They took every precaution to make sure a Jew would not accidentally walk over a grave. And so when Jesus was comparing them to unmarked graves, he was saying that the Pharisees were unknowingly defiling others. Again, when they were supposed to be helping people to grow more holy, they were bringing them down. As religious leaders, these guys were church leaders, they were supposed to be helping others grow spiritually. But they're so focused on themselves that they're actually doing the opposite. They were defiling or bringing down their fellow Jews, much as what they thought a grave did for them. It's been said that priorities are some of the biggest things we face in our day-to-day lives. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we use priorities. If you're one of those people that likes to make a list, you prioritize your most important things at the top and work your way down you're going to the grocery store, you prioritize the most important things first, like the candy and brownies and stuff like that. <laughs> then you put the vegetables and fruit at the bottom. But we have priorities in everything we do. Even in serious or scary circumstances, priorities come in check. If your house is on fire and you're fleeing your house and you can take one thing, you're going to prioritize that and you're going to do it really quick so you can get out of that house. There's once a man who came upon a farmer who had lost some sheep. He asked the farmer how the sheep got away, and the farmer answered, They just nibbled themselves lost. He explained that sheep go from one bunch of grass to another. They don't even look at where they're going, they just stay focused on the grass until eventually they're lost. The same way can happen with life. Unless we're intentional about establishing our priorities, we will nibble away at each inconsequential tuft of grass or each decision in life until it's gone and we have little idea of what has happened to it. Whether we realize it or not, priorities play a big part in our everyday lives. and The same is true in our spiritual lives as well. So where does following Christ and living a life that brings him honor and glory fit into our priority list? Do we place the priority on ourselves and our reputation going through the motions just for appearances? Or do we place the priority on Christ doing everything we do with the sole intention of bringing honor and glory to him? How do we prioritize those around us, our families, our friends, the people that annoy us, the people that hurt us? Is the way we live live our lives the way we prioritize our lives lifting others up? Or is it show, and is it showing them the same love that Christ showed us? Or is it tearing them down? The Pharisees believed that only they could teach others about God. Thankfully, we know that's not true. Each one of us is able to, not only able to minister to others, but we're called to be ministers of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 1-3 through three says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As believers, this is where our priorities should lie. When our priorities are aligned with God, we will grow in our salvation and in turn help others grow as well. We become other-centered rather than becoming centered on ourselves. So that's the first half of Jesus' spiritual analysis of the religious leaders who are trying to trap him. I love how they responded to this halfway point. Verse 45 says, One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Now, after you've just gone through something like that, most people I feel like would probably be like, Okay, and run away and try and hide. These Pharisees were like, Hey, you're kind of insulting us here, Jesus. So instead of changing anything, instead of responding, Jesus simply goes on with part two. You see, these Pharisees felt the sting of what Jesus was saying to them. They felt, they knew what he was saying was true, and they're trying to defend themselves. As we see in my second point, Jesus is only getting started. My second point this morning is that our actions in life should build others up spiritually. In verse 47, Jesus continues with the next three woes using three illustrations that are burdens, tombs, and keys. Three interesting but also kind of odd illustrations at first glance. As I said, the first three woes or warnings were for the Pharisees and focused on priorities, while the second three were specifically for the scribes. These were the people who wrote the laws. They were the people who transcribed scriptures. And so that's who these Next three were specifically four. So we'll look at the illustration of the burden first. In verse 46 it says, Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. So in this fourth woe, Jesus is addressing these cumbersome laws that the scribes wrote and the Pharisees then enforced. While God calls his people to help those in need and lift them up, the scribes were doing the opposite. Instead, they were writing law after law that did nothing but added burdens to people who were already suffering and struggling to survive. Jesus continues in calling out the scribes for being hypocrites by doing the opposite of what they were called to do. As leaders of the church, they were supposed to comfort those who were hurting, to show them love and generosity. Instead, they were more focused on creating laws that were adding more and more burdens to these heavy loads. Not only were the scribes known for creating all these laws that were so burdensome, they were also known for being ver- writing very evasive loopholes to these laws that only they would know. For example, there was one law that created a limit on Sabbath days to where you could only journey 2,000 cubics or 1,000 yards from a man's residence. So The idea was to keep families at home together, but a 1,000 yards really isn't that far. So the scribes decided to add to the law, and they said that if you tied a rope across the end of your road where your residence was, that rope then became your new residence. So it was 1,000 yards behind that rope. But they still wanted to be able to go even further. So they added another addition that said if a man left enough food at any given point on a Friday evening that covered two meals, then that would become the new residence, and he could go a thousand yards beyond that. So essentially, if you plan ahead, you can go wherever you want, but still honor this law. That's just a small example of how the scribes were burdening people with laws that they themselves couldn't even follow without adding these loopholes in. In the second warning, we see where Jesus uses a tomb as an illustration. Verse 47 says, "'Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them." You see, the scribes were very good at honoring prophets from the past who had become martyrs for their faith. And this is a good thing, we should honor those who have given their lives for their faith. But Jesus was saying that it was their ancestors were the ones who killed them to start with. If you look at church history, you look throughout church history, you can see examples of people who were true servants of God that were usually rejected by the people they were trying to minister to, only for the next generation to come along and honor them. This is what Jesus was addressing. He referenced Abel, who was the first person to die for their faith in the Old Testament, and Zachariah, who was the last person to die for their faith in the Old Testament. Remember, in the Hebrew Bible, Second Chronicles is the last book. So Jesus was saying that the scribes and Pharisees were responsible for these people's deaths, and saying that it was just people just like them who killed God's servants. The scribes' and Pharisees' crime was soon come in the eventual crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. So he wasn't saying that they were the ones who actually killed him. He was saying it was their ancestors, their people who lived lives just like them that killed them. In verse 52, we see the last woe, and Jesus says, Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. The scribes and Pharisees knew Scripture very well. The Pharisees were forced to memorize it. They were forced to have knowledge of it to become a Pharisee. And the scribes obviously knew it because they're the ones that are constantly rewriting copies of Scripture. And so even with this knowledge, even with all the knowledge they have from the Old Testament... They refused to believe and follow what Jesus was trying to teach them. And on top of this, they prevented others from entering the kingdom of God as well. They made it so that the common Jew or the common person would not be able to access scripture. Only they were able to read it to them. Remember, one of the main tasks of the scribes was to scribe or write the laws as well as to write the copies of scripture. They knew what God commanded them to do and they knew how he commanded them to live their lives, how they were supposed to guide their fellow Jews in their spiritual lives. Yet they refused to follow the very words that they knew so well. In this way, not only were they not fulfilling the purpose God had intended for them, but they were doing the opposite, making it harder for other people to come to know God. So not only were they not entering the kingdom, but they were preventing others from entering the kingdom through their actions. And this concluded the spiritual analysis of the people who were trying to trap Jesus because, again, he did not wash his hands. Like I said before, try to imagine having Jesus do a spiritual analysis on your life. Imagine if he said to you what he just said to the Pharisees. What would your reaction be? Well, again, I feel like mine would be a lot different than theirs, as we can see in verses 53 and 54. Said when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So they already tried to trap Jesus. Doesn't go over too well. He basically addresses their whole spiritual lives, calls them out for everything they did wrong, and what do they do? They just turn around and try and do the same thing all over again. Chasing him, besieging him with all these questions, trying to trap him. If nothing else, they should know that Jesus is a pretty smart guy and he's not going to fall for their traps. So anyway, Jesus got up and went out, and the leaders opposed him even more, trying to catch him in something he might say or do that was wrong. But we know that they weren't able to, and they didn't get what they wanted. Instead, they continued to be stubbornly encroached in the laws that they had created and continuing to force them on others. There's a story about this kid who came to a crossroads out in Washington. He's at an intersection with one sign that pointed to the city of Seattle and another sign pointed to the city of Tacoma, completely opposite directions. The boy wondered to himself, how many people could I send down the wrong path if I were to change this sign? Your life is like a signpost with a sign on it. Are you sending people down the wrong road or the right road? My final point this morning is a little bit shorter than the other ones. It's that we need to be aware of hypocrisy in our lives. In our first two points, Jesus is pronouncing a series of six woes on the Pharisees and their scribes for the hypocrisy that they're showing through how they lived their lives. In the first three verses of chapter 12, we see Jesus changing, and now he's talking to his disciples, warning them about allowing hypocrisy to creep into their lives. He knew that the disciples were under immense pressure. I mean, try and picture the disciples. They get to watch this all go down, and now they're leaving, and there's literally thousands of people crowding around them trying to trap Jesus. Now they're the ones that are continuing his ministry. So they're under a huge amount of pressure. Imagine if you were in their shoes and surrounded with people that are like the ones we just read about. They no doubt were faced with the temptation to cave to the demands of these people, to try and make just a little adjustment to make them happy so that their lives could be a little easier. Well, one of the things we should take from these verses is that we need to understand what hypocrisy really is. Jesus compared it to leaven or yeast. This is something that every Jew would have been familiar with and associated with as evil. Later on, Paul would use it to symbolize sin in his letters to the Corinthians and Galatians. You see, like yeast, hypocrisy can begin very small but grow very quickly and very quietly. And as it grows, it spreads like an infection affecting the whole person. Now you're never gonna look at bread the same way again. But you can see just as yeast makes bread rise and swell up, hypocrisy does the same thing to the ego. It puffs it up. Soon after, pride takes over and the person's character begins to rapidly deteriorate. All it takes is for us to allow a little hypocrisy into our lives before it grows and turns into pride. And the longer we allow it to go unchecked, the worse it will become. Remember, priorities matter. Our actions should build others up spiritually, and we should beware of allowing hypocrisy to take hold in our lives. My first application to this point my first application point this morning is to evaluate your priorities. I know it's easy to look at today's text and see how bad the Pharisees and scribes were and compare ourselves to them, saying we're nowhere near as bad. I mean, it helps that we don't have to worry about following these endless laws that the Jewish people had to. And while it may not be the same thing as they did, as we talked about earlier, every day we're faced with prioritizing things, whether it be the candy we eat or what task we do first, we always have priorities. So as you think about your priorities, think about where on that list does God fall? Are there things that you need to realign to have him as your main priority? Is there some hypocrisy that might have taken hold in your life that's preventing God from being your top priority? This is something that's between you and God. Only you know where your priorities lie. So take some time and look at where your priorities are and where God fits into them. And here is the important thing. Don't just do it once, but do it consistently. Continuing continuing to be conscious of where God is in your life. My second application point is to find someone you can help lift up or encourage spiritually. My second point this morning focused on the scribes and how their actions hindered people from growing spiritually rather than helping them grow. Think about the people you interact with on an average week and pick just one person. You can pick more if you want, but just pick one to start with. One person that you can do something to, to lift lift them up and point them towards Christ. It could be a person you know of that is struggling. What can you do to remind them that they are loved by both you and God? It could be a neighbor or a coworker that you felt led to invite to church, but have been putting off actually inviting them. For those of you who might have some more life experience, it could be finding someone who's younger and starting out in life and just simply taking them out for a meal and being a mentor to them. Or maybe if you're one of those younger people, there's someone who might be older and not able to get around as well and could simply use someone to talk to. Whatever your age, whatever your circumstances, there is always someone that you can be an encouragement to this week. Someone that you can lift up through your actions and someone that you can point to to Christ and the love that he is showing them. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words this morning in Luke, God. I thank you for the fact that we don't have to follow the Jewish laws anymore, God. God, I just ask that you would help us to take an account of our lives, our spiritual lives, and that you would just help us to be aware of any hypocrisy that might be in our lives, God. Any ways that we might be putting ourselves above others or above you. And I just ask that you'd help us to realign our priorities, God, so that you are at the top of them, God. I just ask all these things in your name. Amen.